Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 13 of 1 Corinthians. I happen to be at uh, Hope Rescue Mission. Anybody familiar with Hope Rescue Mission in Reading? Anybody? And so I was introduced to Steve Olivio. I went to a pastor's Bible study with him on Friday morning at 9 o'clock. Did not know what to expect. Uh, I just heard great things about Hope Rescue Mission. It's been in existence for 120 or so years, doing great things around the city of Reading and beyond. And so I'm sitting there with these other uh, pastors, leaders, people from various churches. It wasn't a big group. It was a small group of us, about maybe five in total. And so we're sitting there getting to know one another. And one of the gentlemen opened the scriptures and was uh, giving a little devotional out of the Psalms. And it was very enriching and very powerful. And then uh, one of the guys, a big burly guy with tats all over, and he had said that he had been involved in Satanism, satanic ritual abuse, and had been uh, you know, in the drugs of all kinds and all kinds of sexual sins. And so this is a man who loved the Lord. He had been redeemed by Jesus and the cross by the power of the Spirit of the Lord. But as he sat there and he was explaining some of the things that the enemy wants to come against him on in his mind, he still finds himself very tormented. And so here you have a big burly guy with all these tattoos everywhere, just a really rough-looking guy who loves the Lord, but now finds himself uh, with many, many strongholds or many attacks of the enemy in his mind. And so he started weeping like a child uh, and started almost convulsing, just crying so intensely. And so myself, there was a gentleman sitting to my left and then another one sitting to my right, Steve Olivio at the front at the end of the table. And we started laying hands on him and praying over him with fervency and with intensity that this man's strongholds would be broken, that the enemy would not come into his mind to torment him any longer. And so we just stayed there for probably 15 or 20 minutes just saying, oh, God, this man needs to be delivered. Take his mind. Help him to have purity. Help him to have peace in his heart. Help him to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so this is not uncommon to find where you might have had a, a background involved in various sins or various satanic things where the enemy will try to bring uh, destruction inside of your mind. And so during one of those songs, I think it was Overcome, it talked about strongholds. Right before we actually had that verse in the song, I was praying and I was taking my hands and I'm like, God, break strongholds. Break. And I'm doing this to visualize, to help me to worship, you know, to picture in this congregation, God, are there people here that have strongholds in their marriage, strongholds in their mind, strongholds in their, their emotions, maybe an addiction, maybe something that has been plaguing you like this man for all of these years. And, and he wanted freedom, and you want freedom. And so I'm praying that out. And so I'm going to ask you, right at the front end of our study in the 1 Corinthians 13, is there something in your life and for you to say something is a confession of being a loser Christian. It's like, I need prayer. Like this man, big burly guy, just crying like a little child. He didn't care. He just wanted freedom. It didn't bother him to weep like he wept. Is there something that has been plaguing you for a long time? Thoughts, satanic attack in your mind, some kind of a relationship situation, your marriage, whatever it may be. Maybe something happened to you when you were a child, and you know it's gripping you, and you want prayer. Raise your hand, because we're going to pray for you. Raise it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Lift it up. 
Thank you. Now you got to lift it up like you're going to believe God's going to deliver you right now. So lift it up in confidence. Because if you're afraid to lift up your hand, you're concerned more about the person around you than you're concerned about God healing you. And you've already quenched the spirit of the Lord. This is how important fear of man is. So lift it up nice and high, right there, boldly, lift it up. I want freedom from this stronghold, God. I want to be delivered from it. I want peace that passes understanding. I want joy unspeakable and full of glory. I want you to take these things in my life. God, these things have been plaguing my marriage, my mind, my relationships with people, my emotions. God, I want you to break those. Can you pray with me? God, we want you to break those things in these people's lives. Look at their hands around them. Lay some hands on these people if they're next to you. Put a hand next to them. Lay a hand on them. Folks, start laying hands on them. I want you to do that right now. Move here. Move here. Move now. Get near them because they want to be freed from the stronghold. And we're going to pray for them. So lay hands. What's your name right there in the red? John. God's going to deliver you right now. He's going to take whatever it is. You're boldly lifting up your hand in front of everyone. Kelly's right behind you. God, in Jesus' name, I pray for, for Kelly. I pray for John that he would be delivered, that you're freeing him now, that you're going to take whatever it is that he's been carrying. He's going to put it before you, Lord. He's going to lay that thing down, and he's going to leave the service a different, completely different man. We're believing this, God, for this group over here. Lord, we're praying for them that you would bring the peace that passes understanding, that there would be new victory today. Somebody said that in our huddle earlier. New victory. There's going to be victory. Who is that? That was Dan that said that. There's going to be victory today. God, we pray that you would help us to be free of all this, the junk. The junk. The insecurity needs to leave this room right now. It needs to go. No fear of man in this place. This might be unusual for you. might be so different. You're raised in a very conservative. No hands went up. None of this was happening. Don't let that hold you back. Don't let that hold you back. God, we thank you. Thank you, Lord. Keep praying. Keep praying. Lord, you want freedom today. You want, you want people to be delivered today. Thank you. Every hand, every hand. Abuse when you were a child. Rape against you when you were young. Freedom right now, Lord. Freedom right now. Dad that left, abandoned you. Strongholds being broken right now. Abusive verbal abuse against you. A husband that mistreated you. Thank you, Lord. Here's what you do for those who are lifting up their hands. Say, I just received that, Lord. I receive all that you're doing in my life right now. I receive all of this prayer. I receive the move of the Holy Spirit inside of my life right now. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Someone at Harvest Group said to me this past week, we were testifying about what God is doing, and they said that they feel like they're being stretched out of a comfort zone. Does anybody feel like that? Just then, you felt like that, right? We had a, our huddle, and I asked Zach Brown, where's Zach? He's over there. I asked Zach. I, I, I called him out in front of everybody. I said, what do you got, Zach? God's given you something he wants to do. And I saw the, the deer in the headlights look. The poor guy was like, it, it was intimidating. I understand that. But I'm doing that for his benefit. And do you know what word he chose that he wanted to see God do? Courage. He wanted to see God move in courage, probably in your own life, right, Zach? 
not just that. He's getting baptized tonight, by the way. It's going to take courage, you know. All of what just happened right now takes courage. You can't walk in fear, church. You will not grow properly if you walk in fear. 1 Corinthians 13, I want to talk to you about church growth God's way, which is love. God is growing his church, and ultimately all true and real growth is of God, from God, and for God's glory. Amen? I want to take you to a couple of verses on the screen. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 to 9. I want you to see these. I planted, Paul said. Apollos watered, but God gave the what? The growth. So who causes the church to grow ultimately? It's God. God is doing that. He works through people. He works through pastors and leaders and workers. But ultimately, God gives the growth. Verse 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. In other words, really, it's not about our glory. It's not about people looking at us, harvest reading, because we're experiencing some incredible growth right now. But only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. We are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field and God's building. God is building Harvest Reading. Amen? And so we have to be very careful that we don't steal glory, that we don't you know, take what belongs to the Lord and direct it towards ourselves. Here's another verse. I want to show you a section of verses. Ephesians 2, 19 and 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together does what? It's growing. It grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. A dwelling place for God. This is what Harvest Reading is all about. It's a dwelling place for God. And your life as an individual Christian is a dwelling place for the Spirit of the Lord. And so the Spirit of God has come not just down from heaven, but to indwell all true believers, those who have repented of their, their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Do you believe that? The Holy Spirit is in me. It's phenomenal. Harvest Reading is experiencing spiritual growth. People are, are going to brand new and fresh levels of wind of the spirit and fresh fire as Jim Cimbala says in his book the fire of the spirit of God is doing something inside of many people spiritually and also numerically we're growing and so we are experiencing growth I've studied church growth for a long time in the 1950s a man named Donald McGavran became like the father of church growth and so I started reading books uh, by Donald McGavran and of course since that time there have been many many books written on church growth and so I have many of those in my library. And so I wanted to understand how does a church grow and what is real growth? You know, and there's so much more to it than just numerical increase, which is part of it. It's the spiritual component. It, it's the revelation of God. It's people's eyes being open to the truth of God and to the gospel and having their heart move to the place of decision where you will bow your knee to Jesus Christ. You'll follow him no matter what the cost. This is all part of church growth. And so all these books that I've read and all of these things on church growth are important, and we don't want to discount that. However, with growth comes challenges and temptations. Haven't you found that to be true? If you're growing spiritually, have you found yourself to be under attack from the evil one? Anybody like that? You've crossed over a line. You're saying, I want Jesus. I'll follow you. You're Lord. You're Adonai. You're the master of my life. The more you decided to do that, the more attack came against you or your family. 
common. So churches are the same way when they start to grow as Harvest Reading is there's going to be challenges and temptations. The devil doesn't want us to keep growing. We're about 11 months in uh, officially as a church. Next month will be our one-year anniversary on, May, on March 24th. We'll celebrate. Some of you might have seen some thoughts that I put down in the email. I, I just hope that you'll read that every Thursday. 80% plus of all churches in this country are plateaued or declining. Why is that? Why are most churches about 75 to 80 people and they're not growing any larger? Can I just mention to you that I really believe it's because of a lack of love. It's a lack of love. Love towards God and love towards other people. And if you study any church, it goes sideways and things happen, you'll find that the love for God is not what it once was. And the love for each other isn't what it should be. And so Paul is addressing that here in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Some have called 1 Corinthians 13 the hymn of love. Others have said it's the beatitude set to music. So Paul's going to address some things in the 13th chapter. Typically, the chapter is referenced at a wedding. You might have been married at one time, and pastor got up, and he went through 1 Corinthians. Or We're going to look at it from a different angle. We're going to look at it from a church growth angle. Jesus said the greatest commandment is what? What is the greatest commandment? Anybody know? Right, to love God with what? All of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then what? What's the other half of that? Yeah, to love other people, to love your neighbor. That's the greatest commandment. And on this hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you do this, Jesus said, everything else is going to work out fine. So if you have a family that's falling apart, your marriage is falling apart, and I'm grieved today. Honestly, I see around the room, and I know most of you, and I know most of the things that are going on in your personal life. And I know that there's marriage issues going on in some. And so when I look around the room, and they're not here this morning, I know it's because of the battle that's going on, and it grieves my heart. Do you know how to fix that? You don't really have to go to months and months of counseling to fix that. You just have to look at the love of God and ask yourself some tough questions. Am I loving God? And then am I loving my neighbor, which obviously would include your spouse? It's not that complicated. And so this is tough to preach right now. I'll be honest with you, I'm a little bit distracted because I'm thinking about these people who are not here right now, these families. And I know that they're battling some stuff, and they chose not to come to church. And this is where they need to be. They need to be here. This is a safe place. This is where the truth of the word of God is going to help them, but they've chosen not to. It's hard for a pastor. Paul has a pastor's heart. Corinthian church is a church that is facing all kinds of issues. If you're familiar with this congregation in Corinth, they've battled some things. They're battling things that we're going to look at just briefly here. But I want to give you just two points about love. We're going to look at the priority of love. This is verse 1 to 7. So let's look at the priority of love. Any church that grows has the potential, has the potential for issues that would divide the church. Now think about this. As the church gets larger numerically, then you have all kinds of different people coming in, different personalities, different temperaments, different agendas, different quirks, different you know, emotional baggages that you're carrying, and, and all of these things come together in a church. This is an impossible situation to try to lead a church in a certain direction. It's impossible if it's not for the anointing of God because you have all of these different kinds of people coming together as one and trying to move in a certain direction. So the Corinthian church had found themselves in some troubles. They had 
selfishness and pride and personal agendas, and they had control and fear. Demonic attack against this church because it was thriving and it was growing. And so Paul now has to step in and he writes 1 Corinthians. And he wants them to hear the word of the Lord about some stuff that they were battling with. Here's, I'm going to run through this really quick. Chapter 1 talks about division and a lack of unity. Chapter 2 is worldly wisdom that Paul has to address. They're turning to the world for the wisdom that they think that they need to do church and Christianity, and that's wrong. Chapter 3 is immaturity. Chapter 4 is haughtiness and pride. Chapter 5 with sexual sins. 6 with suing each other. Uh, This is a church in serious trouble. Chapter 7, there were domestic issues or marriage breakdowns. Chapter 8, it's being a stumbling block to weaker Christians. They didn't care about being a stumbling block, and so Paul addressed that in that chapter. Chapter 9, they were turning on Paul, not supporting him as a pastor. Chapter 10 was idolatry. Chapter 11 was division in worship or worship wars. And then chapter 12 was chaos in the congregation about gifts of the Spirit. All of those things Paul's addressing. Then he gets to chapter 13, and he's going to talk about how to turn that around. How to turn that around. And how do you turn it around? Any church that's going through drama, any church that's going through issues, and you hear about them, you read about them on social media, maybe you've been a part of a church that went through a lot of junk. Do you know how to fix that? How do you fix that according to the Apostle Paul? Super easy. Love God truly. And this is what Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. So if there's Christians that aren't keeping the commandments from the pastors and leadership down, it's a love issue. And then you love one another. And that would fix it, Paul says. There wasn't any churches in bad a shape as the Corinthian church. You're thinking, well, you don't know the church that I came out of before I came to Harvest Reading. Probably wasn't as bad as the church in Corinth. Satan hates church growth and will do all that he can to stop it. And we see it here in this 13th chapter. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at this. I want you to take your eyes to the verses because Paul's going to give us just outlining the priority of love. Verse 1, chapter 13, if I speak, watch this. I love this word, if. Now, I want you to see this in your text. And so if begins chapter 13 in verse 1. If you go to verse 2, you'll see and if. And so he's using, uh, he keeps going, look, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love on nothing. Verse 3, it begins with if. He's making a comparison. So he begins the 13th chapter by comparing things that were manifesting in the Christian church. I want you to see this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Now, Paul's being very, very um, specific, and he's being very, uh, he's very, what am I trying to say? He is exaggerating. He's exaggerating. He's going to the to the nth degree of exaggeration. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, there's no record in anywhere in Scripture, Old and New Testament, of any human being speaking in an angelic language. Like angel talk. You're not an angel, so you're not going to talk like an angel. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no tongues. And so Paul opens it up with an extreme And he's going to make a comparison. If I spoke in these tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, what does he say? It all is a bunch of noise. See, we have to see where Paul's coming from here as he moves through the chapter. 
and he's making this dramatic comparison for the Corinthians to understand that what you are emphasizing, what you are prioritizing in the gifts is nothing compared to love. And even if I can speak in the tongues of men, and if I could speak in the tongues of angels, and I don't love you, it's nothing but clanging cymbals and a bunch of noise. So the priority is all wrong for the Corinthian assembly. Verse 2, he says, look at there, verse 2, he says, uh, and if I have prophetic powers, notice it, and I understand all mysteries. Does Paul understand all mysteries, yes or no? No. It's an exaggeration. He's not saying I understand all mysteries. He's saying I don't understand. But if I did understand all mysteries, which I can't because only God can, and have all knowledge, which Paul doesn't have all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am what? Nothing. Then in verse 3, if I give all that I have, deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, I'm going to give everything. I'll give my body. I will die. These are extremes. Stop there. So the priority. Paul wants them to reprioritize their life. You remember being a young person and your mom or dad said, you need to get your priorities right. Anybody ever had your parents say that? You're saying, just last week, and I'm a grown adult. It, it just happens. We, we, ha we misprioritize things. And so the church in Corinth was doing that. Gifts became prevalent. Love was not a priority anymore. And Paul now has to address it. So in verse 4, you'll notice he gives these descriptions of love. Now, this is where pastors will use this for a wedding. And so if you look at verse 4, he, he mentions that love is what? Love is patient. Love is patient. Have you ever prayed for patience? Can I recommend you not? Love is patient. This is real love. This is agape love. The Greek word agape love, it's God love. It's Holy Spirit generated love. It's not phileo love. That's, that's the city of Philadelphia's name. That's brotherly love. That's not what he's talking. He's talking about God love. This is loving God supernaturally. This is loving each other horizontally, supernaturally. And love is patient. I was a half second long at a light this past week. A half second, no kidding, a half second. And the guy must have been 115 years old behind me. And he's honking at me, and he's flailing his arms at me. And, and so you know what I did? I put it in park. And I just got out of my car. I went back to his car, knocked on the window. Boom. Didn't I do that? Do you know what I said to him? Have you ever felt like, and I'm looking in my rearview mirror like, really? A half a second? And you're freaking out all over me? Don't you want to say a whole lot to these people? Come on. <laughs> Confession time. <laughs> so you're 115 years old, huh? Here's what patient, this is good. Love is patient. It means long-suffering or long-tempered. Being patient with people, Paul is saying, is real love. And, and it's the ability to be inconvenienced or taken advantage of on a regular basis and you not freaking out. So the dude behind me that's honking his horn at me, I can just sit there and just be patient and it doesn't affect me. How is that possible? Well, what if I really love this guy? I don't know, but I could love him, right? And if I could have that love, that love is going to help me to be patient. Does that make any sense? Paul's saying all of this, love is patient. Now listen to this. In ancient days, anger and retaliation 
not patience, was a noble and a virtue. So if, if, if I got out of that car, went back to him, pounded on his window, and just took him by the lapel and just said, listen, old man, who do you think you are? And, you know, I'm just scaring the life out of him. And that would be a virtue in ancient days. That would be a noble thing for me to do. That's what the Corinthians were thinking. And Paul's saying, wait a minute, that's not love. Because you should be able to withstand that if you're really loving people. I don't, I've failed that test so many times. I just need the help of the Lord. Anybody with me on that? I want you to see a picture of a man. His name was Edward Stanton, if you know anything about the Civil War. Do we have a picture of him back there? Uh, this is a man who said some things about Abraham Lincoln. I'm going to quote, he called Abraham Lincoln a low, cunning clown, end quote. He said this about Abe Lincoln, quote, he was the original gorilla. If you wanted to see a gorilla, you didn't have to go to Africa. All you needed to do was to go to Springfield, Illinois. So when Abraham Lincoln became president, do you know who he elected the Secretary of War? Him. And his friends were like, Abe? <laughs> Why him? And he said, he's the best man for the job. So Abraham Lincoln, as you know, history was assassinated. And so as Abe Lincoln's body is laying in state, Stanton looks over into the coffin and said these words, and I'm quoting, there lies the greatest ruler of men the world has ever seen. His animosity was finally broken by Lincoln's long-suffering, non-retaliatory spirit. Patient love won out. I've never been called a gorilla, have you? Think about how mean that was. Think about what was going on inside, inside of Stanton's heart as Abe Lincoln lived the life of loving patience toward his enemies. Let's go through the text quickly. Notice love is also kind. It's not envious. Has anybody ever struggled with envy? I know that I have, right? Yeah, anybody else? Just two, three of us here in the front row? No, really, you, you look at other people and you want what they have, and you feel this envy, or it can be a close cousin to jealousy. The verses, Paul goes on and says, love doesn't brag. It doesn't bring attention to yourself to make someone else feel inferior. It's not arrogant. I was called arrogant in early uh, years of my ministry, and the senior pastor that I was serving with looked over at me because I was confronting him on something. And I'm just, a, I'm 10 years younger than him, and, you know, he's doing it all wrong, and he needs to listen to me, and, you know, and I brought this thing to his attention, and he looked over at me and goes, you're arrogant. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was right. I didn't love him. That wasn't real love that I was trying to do to him. It wasn't love. It was arrogance. Paul said love is not arrogant. It says it's not rude. It's not selfish. It's not irritable. Oh, anybody failing in this list already irritable? You're saying, I came to church irritable today. Did anybody come to church irritable at all? Raise your hand. Anybody? You're leaving me alone up here, right? Two weeks ago I did. Yeah. You know what the, you know what the deal with that is? It's, it's a love issue. It always goes back to a love issue. Lord, I'm not loving you like I should. I'm not loving my spouse or my friend or my Christian brother or sister. Not resentful. Look at verse 6. I want you to read verse 6 with me. Uh, is that verse 6? 
Yeah, that's good. What's it say? It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. Man, we need to start protecting one another. Love really protects you. It doesn't want to expose. I mean, your, your stuff, your junk, your sin needs to be confessed, but it's not like we're going to parade that for everybody to look at so that you'll feel like a loser Christian. That's not love. Do you know what's happening on social media? The stuff that Christians say to other Christians and things that are being said about other believers, some of it might be true. A lot of it's not true. But can I encourage you not to use social media for that purpose? If you have something about, you know, with somebody, what do you do? The Bible says you're to do what? Go one-to-one. Love is, 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 it bears, it bears these things. I want to bear this thing with you. I don't want to judge you. I don't want to hurt you with my words. So you got the Corinthians. They devalued love. They're lowering it on the priority list. And that's a problem in the mind of the Apostle Paul and the mind of God. Now listen, when a church is growing, there could be many challenges. Many challenges. And we're getting close to the 200 mark if everybody shows. Now the 200 mark is a very interesting barrier, they call it, in church growth. And most churches don't make it past the 200 barrier for various reasons, which I don't want to get into. But as you get to this, there, there becomes this complex social dynamic and spiritual dynamic that goes on. And churches can go sideways, and people can go sideways because there's a lot of loss, like potential loss that could happen. And I think the Corinthian church was in this place, and now they're frustrated, and now they're struggling with things they shouldn't be struggling with because they had not prioritized love. Some of the things that we're going to experience here as Harvest Reading is a, a loss of a family feel. That happens when you get to 200, because now you're looking across the lobby or across the chairs. Look, just look somewhere else in the room here, and you're looking over there. I don't know them. I don't know who they are. And then people, you know, pe more people keep coming in, and it keeps growing, and then it just gets more difficult. You start, you start to feel like you're losing your family. This is why churches stay really small, because they just want their family. They don't want to fulfill the Great Commission. They don't want to make disciples, lots of them, and so they choose to stay small. And that's not what God has called us to do. But you lose that family feel. How about losing space? I could, I could do something right now. I could close my eyes, and I could go around this room, and I could tell you who you are, what your name is, and, and about where you are, where you're sitting, because you sit in the same places all the time. Isn't that true? Right? Except for Tim, you're over here. You're usually over there. You're throwing me off. That's awesome. But typically, people will sit in the same spots. Do you want me to try to do that? And then I'll call your name? Would that be I would be really close to about 80%, 90%, because I'm looking at you all the time on Sundays. I remember years ago, our church was growing up in Connecticut, and uh, people were, they wanted their chairs. I mean, it was like, it was almost like the old days. They wanted to buy, you know, they used to do that, they used to buy their chairs. If you go up to New England, you could still see their names on their, their pews. It wasn't chairs, it was pews. And so this person bought this chair, and so, or the pew. And so now it's like we have the same mentality, so we're all territorial, so we all gravitate to comfort zones. And so it's, it's comfortable for you guys, for some odd reason, to sit over there, because you're over there most of the time. And then all of you are over here most of the time, except for Clark, because Clark's usually over there. He must have got kicked out of there, and this is what happens, you know. And so there's a loss of, of territory as you get larger. And as you get larger, you feel the crunch on that, and you feel like, oh, no, they're taking my space. Well, years ago, this, our church was growing, and I walk in, and there's this non-Christian visitor that I had met a couple times. He's sitting in this chair. 
And I was like, hey, how you doing? And before the service was starting, and I'm talking to them. All of a sudden, this other family who I've known for years, who've been to our church a long time, they come up and they, hey, excuse me, you're in our chair. To the guy, and the guy goes, oh, I'm sorry. And, you know, and he gets up and he, lo- he moves. He never came back. He never came back. You know, that's going to happen here if we're not careful. You're saying, never happened to me. Oh, yeah, then why are you sitting in the same spot all the time? What happens if somebody comes and takes your chair next week? How are you going to feel about that? You're going to start to feel this, ooh, I don't know, I'm losing something here. This is why churches don't keep growing, some of the reasons. Because we all get, like, territorial irritated. Loss of a chair, loss of space. Do you know that there's loss of a pastor? You're saying, what do you mean? Are you retiring? You're only 53. Your birthday was last week. You're retiring already? No, but as the church gets larger, the one pastor can only minister to so many people, so people are going to start to feel they're going to lose the connection with the pastor. And so now we have to raise up other pastors, too. There's four men going through the process of elder, eldering or pastoring. Four other men. And so uh, if, if God leads all four of them to be part of the leadership team, pastoral leadership, there'll be five of us. And so it's important as we keep growing for you to do what? To look away from me. I'll be in the pulpit. I'll be preaching, teaching, leading. But as far as one-on-one all the time, and now it's spread out as we grow larger. This is how you have to grow larger. It's hard. It's a loss. Loss of a parking spot. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names in the house today. Let's go to number two. So we've got priority of love. Number one, priority of love. Paul's saying it's not, it's not the gifts. It's not tongues. It's not any of the prophecies. It's not any of the knowledge gifts. It's not the supernatural uh, giftings that you're getting, although those are important, and we believe in all of those as a church. Number one priority is what, everybody? It's loving God and loving each other. This is church growth, God's way. Number two, we're going to go through this fast, the permanency of love. This is 8 down to verse 13, the permanency of love. Now he moves to show the Corinthians that love is permanent. The gifts are not. The gifts are temporary. If you look at verse 8, he says that love never ends. Do you see it there? Love never ends. Now think about God's love uh, towards you and towards uh, one another. God's love is perfect love. His love is unchanging love. That's That's his nature. God cannot not love. God cannot not love you. Even if you did something horrific, God cannot not love you. It's in his nature. And so he loves. This is in the scriptures from the Old Testament into the New. And here Paul says, love never ends. It's permanent. Love is permanent. Now, why is he emphasizing this? What's, what's the, the deal here? Well, gifts are, are not permanent. And they're emphasizing the spiritual gifts in the church. And there's com- competition. There's drama going on. People are jockeying for position. It's all a big competition, kind of like the NFL, right? NFL is one big competition, and so one team will size up the other team. One player will size up the other player. How are they going to be better than the next guy? And so all of that to win a ring and to win millions of dollars. And so it's like that in Corinth. And they're taking their spiritual gifts, and they're competing with one another. Well, my gift is better than your gift, and mine's more miraculous than yours, and mine has greater impact than your gift has. And it's all a mess. And Paul's saying, wait a minute, the gifts aren't even permanent. Love is permanent. Love never ends. He mentions prophecy in verse 8. He mentions tongues. 
take you to verse 9. Notice these. Then I'll just do commentary on these to bring it down to the end of the chapter. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes. Now there's debate on what the perfect is. Is it Jesus being the perfect? Is it the second coming? Some say it was the New Testament being finished. That's the perfect. So there's huge debate over what this means here, and not the time to be able to, to dissect all of that. Now the partial will pass away, and when I was a child, I spoke like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, what's the next phrase? What's it say? Face to face. Who's the face to face? It's Jesus. Well, I don't, I don't happen to think it's the Bible. That's the perfect that it's talking about. I happen to think it's the second coming of Jesus or you're face to face with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, the gifts. All of a sudden, things like the gift of faith. Now, you don't need faith when you're in heaven. Why? Because you're face to face with God. And there's a perfect realization of what is going on in that moment. You're not going to need prophecy. You're not going to need tongues. You're not going to need any of these gifts. But what does continue on in heaven? Love. Love will continue on forever. And so, Corinthians, why aren't you seeing this? So what he's saying. You're looking at all these other things, and you have all this division, all this competition, all this bitterness, backbiting, all this drama. Why? Because you're elevating these gifts too high. They're not even permanent. God's love is permanent. I love that. That means God's love for me will never change. Let me conclude. Harvest Reading is growing. It is growing. It's growing at a pretty rapid speed, which is a little bit intimidating for me. Uh, and because for this reason, uh, I know that the enemy is looking at us. And anytime a church is growing, wanting to make disciples, wanting to plant other churches, wanting to do boots on the ground, then all of a sudden, all enemies are facing towards that church and towards the leaders. And so this is intense. Now, if we stayed around 20, 30 people, and we we're comfortable with that, like a lot of churches do, then they're not really a threat. But if you're making disciples, seeing converts, baptisms, constantly charging against the kingdom of darkness with the gospel, then all of a sudden the enemy looks at that church and then tries to get in. And the enemy got into the Corinthian church. A lot of things contribute to growth. Leadership is important, godly leadership. I love these four men. These four men I mentioned, they're good men. They love the, the Lord and they love the church. That's what we're looking for. You need leadership to grow a church. You need prayer. We need dependent prayer. We need desperate prayer, fervent prayer to God. We need to ramp that up as a church as we go towards 200 and beyond. We need worship. And how about the worship, huh, at Harvest Reading? How about our worship team that leads us to the throne? It's intensifying, isn't it? about humility. Even facilities are important for church growth. We're blessed with this facility, but we want a building. Amen? How about being current? The church needs to be current. We don't need to look like we're still in 1974. It's okay to be current. Some churches need to change some things. How about wisdom and faith and courage like Zach said? Zach, that was prophetic, man. I don't know if you even realize. It's prophetic because I need courage keep moving forward as a leader. We all need courage. This is causing growth, having courageous spirit. And then parking. Let's go back to parking. We do need parking. It's all part of church growth. So we're going to love God. Now let me just close with these thoughts. 
I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to respond, not, not publicly, but I want you to respond just to yourself in your own mind. Are you growing? Are you growing? Let me ask you another question. Is your marriage growing? So are you growing individually? Are you growing as a person? Are you growing in your relationships with people? And you're thinking, hmm, I'm really, I'm really kind of stuck. I'm really not growing as I, I should be. Do you know what the issue is there? It's always love. You need to ask yourself these questions. God, am I loving you? Do I love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, strength, and soul? Do I love you with all of it? And then ask yourself, am I loving my wife, or am I loving my kids, or am I loving my neighbor, am I loving my friends, my coworkers, am I loving my relatives? Just ask those questions, and you'll find yourself starting to grow again. Does that make any sense? This is what God's calling us to as a church. So we're growing, and we'll keep growing, but we're going to grow God's way. And God's way is always love. Do I hear an amen on that? Let's stand to our feet. God, we pray that you would help us to be a loving church. The things that I'm seeing as the pastor in this church are phenomenal. And it truly is uh, an exciting time uh, to lead this church and to be a part of what you're doing here in Reading. And so, God, we just continue to pray that we would be very careful and discerning about the enemy getting in through divisiveness and nitpicking and critical spirit and competitiveness and looking at others and sizing them up and thinking that we're better than them. Help us not to fall into the same traps as the Corinthians did. So, God, we want to be a church that loves you completely, loves you first and foremost. Then we love each other, beginning with our spouses, our kids, our family, other believers at Harvest Reading. God, we pray that you would just move mightily. Move, keep moving, Lord. Help us to love. Help us to love you. Can I ask you just with a raising of the hand? You know what? I've struggled in the area of loving God. Raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. Yes, yes. God, please move in all of our lives that we haven't loved you as we should. How about loving other people? Spouses, kiddos, neighbors, guy behind you in a car. God, help us to love people too. We need supernatural help with that. We can't do it in our own flesh. I can't do it with my own just sheer willpower. I just can't do it. We need you help, your help, Lord. We need you to move mightily and to help us to love you and to love other people. Help this church, Lord. When people walk through the doors here at the Fox Theater, that they would know that this is a loving, loving, loving place, that there is something supernatural going on here. Let's sing his praise. Lift up your voice to the Lord. And through this song, I just want you to talk to him. Talk to him as you worship. Just, just underneath your breath or in between words or phrases or whatever. Just love you, God. Love you, God.